What would make a perfectly happy child leave home in the middle of the night, away from a loving family and into a wide world of dangers? And what are those dangers to be met and to be toiled over by the loved ones left behind? The living mysteries of runaways are hard to follow and even harder to simply fathom. Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I'm a writer and an actor who has a nine-year-old child and so had a very hard time getting through the research for this episode. But here we are. I've procrastinated as long as I can and I have put on my grown-up pants and will venture forth with a clenched jaw and my shoulders up at my ears. It's going to take a lot of microdose gummies and deep breathing to get through this one. On a cold mid-February night in 2000, a little girl woke up, got dressed, took her things, and walked out of her house, never to be seen or heard from again. The search for Asia Degree continues to this day. Aisha Jaquilla Degree was born on August 5, 1990, to Harold and Aquila Degree. The Degrees, including Aisha's older brother, O'Brien, lived in Shelby, North Carolina, just outside Charlotte. O'Brien was a year older than Asia, and the siblings shared a bedroom in the family's small apartment. In 2000, nine-year-old Asia was in fourth grade at Falston Elementary. She loved school. By February of that year, she had only missed one day of school back in September. She was an honor student and a competitive athlete. It was Aisha's first year on the school's basketball team, and she was already a valuable member. As point guard, she was the highest scorer on the team. Her mother, Aquila, told local paper The Shelby Star that people couldn't believe it was Aisha's first year playing. Aisha's mom said it was mostly Aisha's brother, O'Brien, who taught her the game. The two would practice with the hoop their dad had set up for them in the driveway. So by the time Aisha joined her school team, she already had plenty of practice. Her father, Harold, told the son, I was so proud when I saw her play. I didn't know she could dribble like that. But Aisha's parents made it clear that athletics didn't come before academics. My mom tried this with me when I started acting at nine years old. Clearly, it didn't work because here we are more than 30 years later and I'm still acting and still dumb as a box of old hair. But Aisha was a really good student. In first grade, the school's teachers singled out an essay Aisha wrote on Abraham Lincoln because it was so good. For those of you who don't have children, just the fact that she wrote an essay at all in first grade is cause for celebration. My son is in fourth grade, and getting him to write one sentence should be filmed and shown in sex ed classes to prevent teen pregnancy. The amount and volume of the screaming that goes on in this house when he has to write anything. In the second semester of her fourth grade year, Aisha's grades had slipped a little, and her parents told her she would have to bring them back up if she wanted to play softball in the spring. And that was motivation enough for Aisha. She got her grades back up by February. Aisha watched very little TV, according to her mom, and they didn't have a computer, specifically because Aquila was worried about predators. In 2013, she told Jet Magazine... Every time you turned on the TV, there was some pedophile who had lured somebody's child away. The Degrees were a religious family, attending Macedonia Missionary Baptist Church twice a week. Aisha pushed back a little on going to the Wednesday evening services because it cut into her after-school playtime. But her mom said on Sunday mornings, Aisha was the first one dressed and ready to go to church. 
The week of February 7th, 2000 started out like any other. Aisha rode the bus to and from school. I assume it was a school bus, but that information isn't available. And she and her brother did their homework until their parents got home from work. Both children were required by their parents to go straight home after school. On Friday the 11th, Aisha had basketball practice, at which her coach said she was... The usual fun-filled self. She had a good practice. The next day, February 12th, Aisha had a game in which she fouled out, and her team ended up losing. It was their first loss, and the whole team took it pretty hard, especially Aisha, who felt responsible for the loss because of her fouling. The team had a good cry together, but as her coach later told the star... Just a few minutes later, she was up smiling and joking and having a good time. I sat behind her for part of the boys' game and tossed a towel overhead and joked with her. She didn't show any behavior or say anything that led me to believe she was unhappy. And then, on February 13th, the Degree family went to church and then to an aunt's house for lunch. Aisha's grandmother said Aisha was particularly happy that Sunday because she'd gotten Valentine's Day candy. Aisha's mother agreed that Aisha was happy all day. That night, Aisha went to bed around 8 p.m. Sometime just before 9 p.m., a car accident nearby caused a power outage. When the power came back on around 12.30 a.m., Aisha's father, Harold, checked in on the kids and found them both sleeping in their beds. Harold went to bed around 2.30 a.m. and later said he'd heard Aisha get out of bed a little after 2.30 a.m. and assumed she was going to the bathroom, so he rolled over and went to sleep. At 5.45 a.m. on Monday the 14th, Aquila ran a bath for the kids. In 2011, she told Jet Magazine, I went to the bathroom two feet away from the door to start the bath water because they could not take a bath the night before since we had a power outage. I opened their bedroom door. My son O'Brien was under the covers as he usually slept. I called his name and he jumped up as usual. I realized that Aisha was not in her bed. I have to say, what stood out to me in this statement was that Aquila said the kids couldn't bathe the night before because of the power outage, but Aisha was in bed before the power outage happened. It probably doesn't mean anything, and it's most likely that after years went by, details got fuzzy. As we all know by now, memories of traumatic events especially can get warped and changed. And Lord knows there have been plenty of times I haven't been able to get Monty to bathe for one reason or another. But it is sort of my job to point these kinds of things out. Anyway, Aquila continued. I looked beside O'Brien's bed because sometimes she would get up at night and lay there. I asked him where she was and he didn't know. I checked the couch, I checked downstairs, I checked the kitchen... I checked every closet in the house. I went in my room and put on clothes and told my husband, Harold, that Aisha was not in the house. I checked our cars. She was not there. My husband said maybe she was in my mother-in-law's home. She lives across the road. We called my sister-in-law's house. She was not there. That's when I went into panic mode. I heard a car next door. I did not have shoes on. I put shoes on, ran outside and called my mom and told her that Aisha was not in the house. She told me to hang up and call the police. I threw the phone at Harold and went outside. Harold called 911 at 6.39 a.m. and according to dispatch transcripts, the call went like this. 911? Yes, I'd like to report a child missing. From where? From my house. What's your name? Harold Degree. What's the child's name? 
Asia Degree. What's her full name? Asia Jaquila Degree. How old is she? Uh, nine. White or black? Black. When did you last see her, Harold? Last time I went to bed, she was in the bed. We got up this morning, called her to get up to go to school, and she wasn't in there. And a book bag's missing in a pocketbook. At this point in the transcript, a note says that crying can continue to be heard in the background. So you don't know if she got dressed or if she still got on her bed clothes or what? We don't know. Was the door open or anything? No. Uh, her brother sleeps in there with her, and when he uh, when he was in there, he didn't hear when she got up. In other words, we have no idea what the hell happened to our kid. Help, please. I can't even imagine having this conversation and having to try to explain the circumstances of my child's recent disappearance. But there you have it. Aquila told Jet Magazine that the first police officers arrived at 6.40 a.m. and that two to three minutes after that, the sheriff and more officers arrived, and that by 7 a.m., every cop in the county was at the Degrees' home. By the time the local news outlets arrived, the whole neighborhood had been awoken by the family screaming Aisha's name up and down the streets. The next day, February 15th, the Shelby Star reported, quote, More than 80 police and volunteers held a manhunt throughout the day Monday through fields and forests and neighborhoods for Aisha Degree, end quote. The only information anyone seemed to have about Aisha's disappearance was that there appeared to be no forced entry into the apartment. Aisha had apparently gotten dressed, or at least had put on pants and sneakers, as those were the only items of her clothing that seemed to be missing. She picked up her Tweety Bird pocketbook and her school backpack and left her coat, and then left out of one of two doors, seemingly of her own free will, and locked whichever door she used behind her. The initial assumption was that Aisha had run away. The year before, in 1999, there had been 6,361 children reported missing in North Carolina. Almost all of them were runaways, and not a single one of them had been abducted by a stranger. But Aisha, by all accounts, was a happy kid. Her parents may have been a little more strict than most, but there was no indication by anyone in Aisha's life that she was experiencing anything that might have prompted her to run away. I know that a lot of kids fantasize about running away sometimes. I used to. Something minor happens, like you're told to clean your room or you have to eat your broccoli, and off you go in your head hopping onto moving train cars with a little bandana with your stuff in it tied to a stick. My best friend and I were at the park one day back in the 80s when parenting was a lot different than it is now. We were basically free to roam the entire park by ourselves, which was massive, and I cannot imagine a universe in which I would let my son do that, even though, statistically speaking, I know he would be fine. But anyway, we were wandering around the park, and we decided, spur of the moment, to run away, and we just took off. We walked farther through that park that day than I ever had before. I saw parts of that park I had never seen before or since. But at some point, we realized we were hungry, and SNL was on that night, followed by Showtime at the Apollo and then the Late Late Movie. Also, we had a book report due on Monday. By the time we got back to the field where we'd left her parents, they hadn't even noticed we'd gone. My point is, unless there are clear problems, most kids don't actually follow through on those fantasies. And if they do, they certainly don't do it in the middle of the night in winter with no coat on. 
After the news reports came out on Monday the 14th, two motorists came forward to say they'd seen a little girl walking alone along Highway 18, just north of the intersection of Highway 180, around 4 a.m. the night before. The descriptions they gave matched Asia. One of the motorists thought it was strange that a little kid should be out walking alone along a highway at that time of night because, duh, and he turned his car around. He said he circled three times and then she apparently ran off into the woods. Now look, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you see something like this, please don't just drive away or circle suspiciously like a creep and then do nothing. If I saw a car keep turning around to look at me, I'd run off too. There is indeed no reason for a child of that age to be out at that time of day alone, anywhere. As the adult in the situation, please, for the love of Ashley Simpson, get out of your car and offer help. And look, if the kid runs away, I'm sorry, but you should probably run after them. They are the child and you are the adult. At the very least, get to a phone and call the police. My God. The FBI and the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation were brought on to assist in the search and set up a checkpoint. Of course, if she'd been taken in a car, Aisha would have been long past a checkpoint by then. By Wednesday, authorities had pretty much decided she had run away, mostly because she had clearly left the house of her own accord. But no one could figure out why in the world this happy little girl with a loving family would just up and leave in the middle of the night. Sheriff Dan Crawford told the star, She comes from a loving family with excellent parents who care deeply for her and encourage her to succeed. A real... True, painful mystery is what it is. The only sliver of a possibility of an explanation lay between the pages of a book Aisha had been reading at school with her class. The book, The Whipping Boy by Sid Fleischman, was about a prince and a common boy whose job it is to take the punishment whenever the prince misbehaves, who both decide to run away. The prince because he's bored and the common boy because, you know, of all the whipping. According to the Shelby Star, Aisha's teacher Susan Beam confirmed that this was the book her class had been reading, but somewhat mysteriously apparently, quote, wouldn't give any other details about the book, end quote. Uh, Susan, that's not a good look. Like, just tell the nice newspaper man what happens in the book. The nice newspaper man went ahead and got the answers himself and found these passages in the book. Jemmy pointed to the window. It's night out, he protested. The best time, replied the prince. But ain't you afraid of the dark? Everyone knows that. You won't even sleep without a lit candle. Lies. Anyway, the moon's up, good and bright. Come on. And this. The great sewers. That's the place to hide. And this. Don't leave footprints in the mud, he warned. So, it held some tips and tricks for running away without getting caught. Aisha's family wondered if maybe the book inspired Aisha to run away. But, of course, that didn't answer the question as to why she would have run away. Aisha's teacher Susan told the star, Aisha's a happy child, a great student who comes from a great family. We're all puzzled. Everyone was truly baffled. 
Sheriff Crawford, with 25 years of experience with investigations, the FBI and SBI, local law enforcement and detectives from two different counties, were absolutely stumped. Meanwhile, the possibility that she was abducted was also quite real. The only silver lining there, I suppose, is that perhaps whoever took her might slip up at some point and reveal themselves. And then, on Thursday, the 17th of February, 2000, police discovered a pencil, a green marker, and a Mickey Mouse hair bow that belonged to Aisha inside a tool shed not more than 100 yards from where she'd last been seen by the motorist along Highway 18. Oddly, though, the woman who'd found the items, the woman whose shed the items were found in, Debbie Turner, found those items on the morning of the 15th, just hours after Aisha had presumably walked out of the house. But she didn't think to alert anyone until the 17th, when police came by asking to search her property for any signs of Aisha. She told the Shelby Star, I know that stuff shouldn't have been there. But we live so far south from where that girl lived that I never thought it might be hers. I just hope this helps find her, and I'm happy that it gives hope to everyone looking for her. She also said she'd found a wallet-sized photo of a little girl near the other items. That photo she apparently took inside, leaving the rest of the things lying there in the barn. The photo wasn't of Aisha, though, and no one knew who she was. Not Aisha's family or anyone at Aisha's school. Whether they posted the photo on the local news, I don't know, but that seems like a common sense thing to do. Maybe try to figure out who the girl in the picture was? Maybe she was missing too? And not for nothing, but why did this lady keep the picture of the little girl but not the other items? Plus, the only way we know that she found them in the shed near the other items is because she told us she did. Knowing my luck, she's still alive and listening to this and will be sending me a very angry DM any minute now. I guess police didn't find this as fishy as I do because that is Debbie Turner's only appearance in this whole story. The only thing these items served to do was confirm the motorist's claim that she had run off toward the woods. But it didn't bring anyone closer to finding Asia, And where she went from the shed was anyone's guess. On February 20th, after a week of extensive searches by foot and by air that totaled more than 9,000 collective hours, the search was called off. Several square miles had been searched three or four times with nothing found. But law enforcement was still chasing down any lead that came their way. More than 200 calls had come in with tips, and according to Sheriff Crawford, every single one had been followed up on. And Aisha's photo began circulating nationally because by then, if she had been abducted, she could have been anywhere. Sheriff Crawford believed something scared her off the road, possibly the motorist who was just circling around without getting out to see if he could help her, and she ran off to hide or tried to get back home and possibly got turned around. But then, if she wasn't abducted, they should have found more signs of her by then. On her own, she couldn't have gotten very far. As the days rolled by with no new information about Aisha, her family did what they could to keep her name in the news and get national attention. By spring of 2000, they appeared on the Montel Williams show, and Aisha was featured on America's Most Wanted. Oprah Winfrey even featured Aisha's picture and her information from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children on her show. 
With no sign of forced entry and no signs of Aisha anywhere to be found, inevitably rumors began to spread that her parents had something to do with her disappearance. Aquila and Harold both passed polygraph tests about a month after Aisha went missing. It's interesting they weren't given the test sooner. Then again, I suppose any parent who just lost a child wouldn't be in any condition to take a polygraph for a while. Their blood pressure would be through the roof. The only reason her family could come up with for what would have prompted Aisha to run off was that she'd been so upset about fouling out in the last three minutes of her basketball game on Friday. Apparently, even though she'd bounced back pretty quickly right after the game, she couldn't let it go. She talked about it all weekend and complained that the refs had cheated. But that, I'm sure they knew, was a pretty thin theory. It's not like anyone ever said Aisha was one to blow things out of proportion. But even after the national attention from the Montel Williams show, America's Most Wanted, and Oprah, not a single credible clue came in. And then in August 2001, a year and a half after Aisha disappeared, about 25 miles south of where she'd last been spotted along Highway 18, a man named Terry Fleming was bulldozing some land in preparation for a new building when he unearthed a black and beige book bag inside a plastic bag. Apparently, law enforcement asked him not to share any more details about what else he found. But he did say he saw a name and phone number written on the inside of the backpack. He wrote the information down and brought it to his wife, who instantly recognized the name, Aisha Degree. Apparently, the FBI would not tell Aisha's family what else was discovered inside the book bag or the plastic bag it was in. Why? I have no idea. In November of 2004, an inmate at a local jail led investigators to a site about six miles from Aisha's home where he said her remains would be found. But the remains turned out to be animal remains. Whether or not the inmate knew they would only find animal bones where he sent them, I don't know. And then, in January 2014, law enforcement believed they had a solid lead when a man named Donald Preston Ferguson was arrested in South Carolina. He was charged with the sexual assault and murder of a seven-year-old girl named Shonda S. Poole, who was found dead behind her school in 1990. It was completely plausible that Ferguson could have had something to do with Aisha's disappearance. But that lead also led nowhere. Dan Crawford, who by then was the former sheriff, tragically died by suicide a year and a half later. His colleagues say Aisha's case was never far from his thoughts, even 15 years later. On May 25, 2016, the FBI and the sheriff's office from the county where Aisha had disappeared asked for information on a vehicle Aisha may have been seen getting into on Highway 18 the night she went missing. At this, everyone was like, what in the literal fuck are you talking about? And they were like, uh, so this has been in the case file the whole time, but uh, it took a fresh set of eyes to see it. And it's not like the vehicle was some generic Honda Civic. According to the case file, it was, quote, an early 1970s Lincoln Mark IV or possibly a Ford Thunderbird, dark green, with rust around the wheel wells, end quote. Are you kidding me? How could this information have not been shared with the public immediately? Someone knew who the fuck that car belonged to. Oh, my good golly. About a year after that bombshell was dropped, the FBI casually released this nugget. 
Based on our investigation, we have reason to believe that individuals in this community or the surrounding area have knowledge of or information pertaining to the disappearance of Asia. Duh. Fuck. And then, in 2018, a full 17 years after Terry Fleming found Aisha's backpack along with other secret items he, for some reason, wasn't allowed to talk about inside a plastic bag, investigators on the case were like, hmm, maybe we should let people know what was in the backpack? Maybe that might, I don't know, spark something? You think? According to the FBI report, Inside was a concert t-shirt featuring boy band New Kids on the Block and a children's book, McElligot's Pool, by Dr. Seuss. Neither belonged to Asia, though the book was from the library at Asia's school, Falston Elementary. The Cleveland County Sheriff's Office released a Facebook video asking anyone who had the Dr. Seuss book, McElligot's Pool, and lost track of it to call the Sheriff's Office. The book was checked out from Falston Middle School Library around early 2000 when Aisha attended the school. Library records do not go back that far, so the sheriff's office needs the public's help. Authorities are also looking for information about a new Kids on the Block concert t-shirt. If you had a t-shirt like this one or know someone who did, please call the sheriff's office. I mean, everyone had an NKOTB t-shirt at one point or another. But 2000 was a little past their freshness date. It's not unreasonable that, like that very distinct car, if someone had seen the shirt way back in 2001, they might have been like, oh yeah, my cousin Bob has a t-shirt just like that one. Two more years went by without any credible leads, and then, in November 2020, a convicted sex offender serving time in the same county where Aisha lived sent a letter to the Shelby Star saying he knew what happened to Aisha and where her body could be found. But the information given to investigators by two inmates came third or fourth hand and once again led nowhere. To this day, no one knows why Aisha walked out of her house that night or where she ended up. Some theorize that she may have sleepwalked out and by the time she woke up was so disoriented that she couldn't get back home. But there were no reports of her ever sleepwalking before, and one would think the cold night air would have woken her up immediately. It also seems unlikely that someone who's sleepwalking would dress, grab their stuff on the way out, and lock the door. And don't forget, Aisha shared a room with her brother. How did she manage to get dressed and get her things without waking him? In my humble opinion, as a podcaster who has sadly researched many stories like this one, it's most likely Aisha was abducted by a terrible person who saw an opportunity when they spotted a child alone on the highway in the middle of the night. It's also likely she's no longer alive. If she is, she almost definitely doesn't go by Aisha anymore, and it's possible she doesn't really remember much of her life before leaving her home in Shelby, North Carolina. Aisha's family holds a march every year on Valentine's Day to keep Aisha's name in the community's mind. They even arranged for a billboard in town to display information about her and how to report information on the case. Aisha's mother, Aquila, told Jet Magazine in 2013 that the news coverage of Aisha's disappearance was local only, whereas white girls tend to get national attention when they go missing. Maybe if Aisha's disappearance had gotten more coverage, someone somewhere would have seen her and been able to help. 
Statistically, while missing children are disproportionately black, they are also disproportionately undercovered in the media as opposed to white children. Aisha's parents have never given up hope. As far as I know, they still live in the same apartment. Aquila told Jet Magazine that she fully expected Aisha to walk back through their front door any day. She said, We're hoping and we're praying that she's had a halfway decent life, even though we didn't get to raise her. She was nine years old, so we missed everything, but I don't care. If she walked in the door right now, I wouldn't care what I missed. All I want to do is see her. In February of this year, 2022, the FBI released an episode of its podcast, Inside the FBI, dedicated to this case. Detective Tim Adams, who has taken over Aisha's case, said, I believe somebody has those answers that can help us, and I believe there's somebody out there that can tell us. We've appealed to the public many times, and we're doing it again on the 22nd anniversary of her being missing. I think it's critical now that people need to come forward if they have something. Like so many of these cases, at this point, the only hope seems to be that someone will either suddenly grow a conscience and come forward, or someone will need to offload some guilt on their deathbed. For Aisha's parents' sake, let's hope that happens sooner rather than later, so they can possibly, finally, close this chapter and get some peace. Anyone with information in the Cleveland County, North Carolina area specifically can call the Cleveland County Sheriff's Office at 704-484-4822. And anyone elsewhere can call the FBI at 704-672-6100. Next time on Strange and Unexplained. In November of 1971, a man who no one seems to know becomes a legend when he hijacks a plane and steps off the back of it, disappearing into the dark, rainy night. The mystery of D.B. Cooper. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have a story you'd like us to cover, whether it's a well-known case or something that happened in your town that the world hasn't heard about yet, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network and is produced by Becca Gregorio and Natalie Grillo. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, researched by Jess McKillop, and edited by Eve Kerrigan. Our audio mixer and engineer is Jennifer Swatek. Our voice actors for this episode were Luther Creek, Andrea Jones-Sojola, and Ryan Garcia. If you like our show, please help us out by rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. It really does help. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. We are at SNUPod. And check out the Strange and Unexplained Facebook page to join in the conversation. 